0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.
1: Well, welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God and... What is that kingdom of God? I saw, uh, somebody invited me to, uh, another Facebook page. And, uh, I think it was mostly preterists that were there. And, uh, preterists are those who think that, uh, all the prophecies have been fulfilled, or at least prophecies have been fulfilled, many of them that are referred to. Because, you know, some preterists don't think all of them have been fulfilled, but some of them were fulfilled at the, you know, in the first century. And some of them uh, have yet to be fulfilled. And uh, they're, uh, and to some degree, actually, they are true because some prophecies were fulfilled in that very first century. But prophecy has a tendency to repeat itself because history has a tendency to repeat itself. So this is what causes a great deal of the confusion. Everybody wants to know what's going to happen in the future. So everybody wants to study prophecy and revelations and... And try to figure out what's going to happen, so they get a little edge on uh, what's coming. And a lot of things are coming. And uh, I just got an email this morning from somebody who uh, uh, I won't even mention his name, but uh, you know he's got an end times uh, ministry, and he's trying to tell us all to prepare and and how we are to prepare. And he talks about relationships rather than religion. And, uh, you know, I don't know the guy. It's hard to tell what he really thinks. Uh, he clearly doesn't understand the meaning of the word religion, but that's not surprising since most people think religion is what you think about God. And, uh, you know, a religion is something you belong to, you know, like Methodist or Presbyterian or Catholic or Seventh day Adventist or Mormon or, or Muslim or whatever. Uh, And it's come to mean that, but of course, in the Bible, that's not what religion meant. Although you might have been a part of something that looked like an organization to be a part of a religion or to have religious beliefs. But religion was actually what you do. Religion is the pious performance of your duty to whatever God you believed in and to your fellow man because if you believed in Yahweh you had to love your neighbor as yourself. You wanted to take the earth and dress it and keep it. You did not want to have other gods before Yahweh. In other words you wouldn't be signing covenants contracts and constitutions with men and make those men the ruling judge of what is good and what is evil in your life. You just simply wouldn't do that if you actually loved Yahweh. Yet people today, you know, they want you to have a relationship with Yah, a relationship with Yahweh. Yet, you sign contracts every day. You make agreements every day. You are a part of systems every day that subject you to the will of men who decide what is good and evil. And they are your gods. And you say, well, they are not really my gods. I believe in the God, but, you know, I sure do love those benefits. (laughs) So And the reality is is I understand because you have the world has gone whoring after these strange gods, these fleshy gods, these you know these theoses and apotheoses of the world, and the fathers of the earth, and you are totally dependent upon them. You can't take care of your parents, you can't take care of yourselves, you can't take care of your children, you may have a disabled child, you can't take care of it without that government check coming in every month. And I understand that. But you have to realize your dependency upon that government check that, uh, that takes care of your parents or your child or yourself is because you haven't been really seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You've been seeking the ways of the world. Or you've been seeking religion. You know, what people think about God. In that sense, the modern definition of religion. You know, and you want to get everybody to think this way about God. Or think that way about God. And it makes you subject to the world. Because you're not actually seeking the kingdom of God. You're not actually seeking the real Yah. Or Yahweh. Or Yadivahe. Or Yahshua. Or Jesus. Whatever name you want to put on it doesn't really make any difference. Jesus, you know, there's a guy down the street named Jesus. We call him Jesus. That's just letters rolled up in a row. And I don't care if it's Hebrew letters or Greek letters. That's not his name. His name is who he is. The character of the man. What he came to do. If you you don't come to serve, you don't come in the name of Yeshua or Jesus. Or Yahweh, because that's real religion—is how you serve one another, how you dress and keep the earth. Uh, right now, there, there's a place called Azure Standard, uh, and it's up near Dufer and they have 1,800 acres of organic farming, and they—they they have uh, millions and millions of dollars worth of. Uh, Food going out all over the United States every every week, uh, to uh, of organic food and even non-organic food. They have lots of different products, and uh, they pay millions of dollars in in taxes and and payroll, and uh, they uh, are being forced to uh, herb- use herbicide on their. 1,800 acres of organic farming, uh, farmland. I've, I've known these people for decades and decades. I knew their father when he was uh, first trying to go organic. And he said it was almost impossible. Uh, but he believed that he was poisoning his family with all the herbicides that they were using, poisoning himself. And he wanted to get away from that. And he is an expert in organic farming. And they go, they spend a lot of money Trying to, uh, in time and energy, trying to figure out, you know, what the plants actually need. And uh, how you uh, improve the quality and the uh, nature of the soil. And uh, and they're, they're getting better and better at it. As a matter of fact, the university actually comes to them. But people in the county, they see some weeds in their field. They're not noxious weeds. They're just, you know... Uh, Natural weeds and weeds have a purpose in the field. Weeds have a purpose in the garden. They uh, they're actually drawing when there's a shortage of minerals and an imbalance in the soil. Certain weeds will grow in that soil to try to recreate that balance. And uh, so weeds are, you know, telling you that there is something wrong in that field Something wrong in that soil. Something out of balance in that soil. And some some weeds will just grow naturally because they're maintaining that balance. But uh, there's a way to deal with that. But it takes learning and practice. Well, we're growing with weeds. And, uh, you know, Azure's fighting to keep the government from coming in and spraying all their fields with Roundup to kill out all these weeds and because locals are prejudiced towards them because they say, we spray with Roundup, they must also spray with Roundup. (laughs) And because we don't want to see the weeds. You can't see the Roundup. You know, the, the most prestigious... Biologist, agricultural biologist in the United States has warned for years this excessive use of Roundup may be destroying a balance in the soil that we can never ever go back to. I actually think we can go back to it eventually, but we are doing everything possible. I've worked on wheat farms, you know, 50 years ago. We are going to have one of the greatest famines in the history, known history of the world. And it's coming soon, sooner than you would like to know. And, and the excessive use of Roundup is part of that. The Assess- excessive use of uh, genetically modified uh, seeds is a part of that. Uh, Farming and agricultural practices and dependency upon uh, fuel and oil in order to even produce the minutest of crops is going to lead to absolute uh, starvation in one of the most abundant nations in the world because we're not dressing and keeping it. And, you know, you can tell these people and tell these people and show them all kinds of evidence. They just don't want to see it. It's the same... With religion. Uh, You know. And so we put together just some definitions. You know. Like the definition of religion. How it's changed in the last 200 years. Used to be the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. Now it's just whatever you think about Jesus. Or a God. That's a vast change. And they just changed it. Threskia. the, The Greek word. It's what you do there's actually, there's a religion now called Tereskia. <laughs> and you know what they do? They have campfires and they dance around them. I think they smoke in pot or something. <laughs> I do it, but I don't know. Uh, I, don't want, I don't know these people. But they think, because religion is what you do, they have converted their religion into just dancing and rituals and music. Because it gives them a good feeling. And they think spiritual, a spiritual life is a life about feelings. You know, how you feel. I mean, why do people go to church? Because it makes them feel good. You know, there was somebody who was going to marry an old timer in this community. I was trying to think of who he was, but uh, uh, he had met this girl down in San Francisco. This is back in the horse and buggy days. And uh, wanted to move up here to Summer Lake, which is out in the middle of the high deserts of Oregon. And she wouldn't until they built the church. They had to build the church. Because she knew a church was important for the community. It stabilized the community. But, well, and to some degree, it probably did. Because churches did a lot more in those days. It wasn't just the fact that they talked about moral issues but that was actually a place where they gathered to help one another. We we had a Grange hall here at one time, and that's where everybody went to dance and sing, <laughs> you know, and uh, to socialize. But the church was a place where you went to think about God, to talk about God, and it was also a center of social welfare. You know, we're talking early 1900s and before. And so she knew it was important to have a church. Well, we had a church building here and then a lady bought it and shut it down. (laughs) She wasn't getting her way. She just ended the church. And now nobody meets at that church. They, They meet at a restaurant or they meet in homes. And that's the way it is in this community. But the reality is their social welfare is still with the state. They still go to the government. That clearly exercises authority one over the other to get their social welfare. Everybody does that. And that idea is a weed in your search for the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Because the idea of taking away from your neighbor to provide you with welfare, benefits, social security... That That's a weed idea. That's contrary to what Christ said. He says you are not to be like the governments of, of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other. So how how can you operate a system of social welfare entirely by charity? Entirely by free will offerings. Well, people don't know how to do that. And most people are not willing to do that. But the beautiful thing about that is you don't have to start doing that all at once. You can do it a little bit at a time. You can start turning around and going that way. You can start by, you know, giving, you know, $25 a month. Some people actually do that. They, They give $25 a month into whatever church they belong to. You know, which, what does that come to? 300 bucks a year. That's less than a cup of coffee. I mean, it's way less than a cup of coffee a day. Uh, what is that? (laughs) I guess, I'm not sure what coffee goes for. I don't drink coffee, but it's probably five to seven dollars a cup if you went and ordered it somewhere. If you made it yourself, you probably can get by for maybe a buck or so, or maybe two bucks for a cup of coffee. Well, that doesn't even get you a cup of coffee a day. You wouldn't even buy Jesus a cup of coffee a day. (laughs) The reality is, is that it really takes real giving to make it happen. And back in those days, uh, you know, when the lady said she wanted to have a church, I mean, the church got built. You know, they, they and they brought in a minister and they supported that minister. And people, it was hard. People worked hard. To make that happen. And that minister worked hard to be a minister. He actually was involved in the community. Helping people. There was. Back when that church was built. There was no social security in the United States. It didn't exist. There was no welfare. In the United States. Run by the government. It just didn't exist. There wasn't even any public school here. They, they also built a school. They built it. The farmers built the school. And the teacher stayed with one of the farmers, ranchers, and you know it was not a heated. <laughs> well, it was heated. There was there was a big wood stove in the middle of it, and uh, that's how they heated it. It was single pane windows and <laughs> no insulation in the walls, so it was a bit chilly in there in the middle of the winter, <laughs> to say the least. They were probably huddled around the stove a lot, but they did it themselves. They took, and they were not rich. They had to deep in, reach deep into their pockets to make it happen. Today, how many kids are educated by private education? Even I heard in the news just now, the charter schools are still public funded. Public funded means somebody's taking away from your neighbor to provide that education. You don't, don't even have to think about it. That's just going to be done for you by somebody else. It's going to take from your neighbor. This changes the flow of energy in your life. It's not by choice, it's by command. It's by the command of the gods which you have chosen for yourself. They're going to decide how much you're going to give and where that money is going to go. Because you've abandoned y'all. Yeah. <laughs> y'all. Yeah. Yah, you have. (laughs) Yes, you have. You have abandoned the ways of God. Not just a couple of you. Many of you. You still call yourself Christians. But you have abandoned Christ. Completely abandoned Christ. You take from one another daily. Way more than a cup of coffee. To provide for the welfare of your society. To take care of the needy of your society. You are not practicing pure religion. You are practicing something that is actually the antithesis of pure religion. You, you, no matter how much you tell me you believe this and believe that, and you've got this figured out, the, whether the rapture or revelation or whatever it is, you have abandoned pure religion because you do not gather together to take care of one another. You gather together to feel good. You are the workers of iniquity, both by your actions, by your applications, and by your sloth. You are not taking care of one another. So, but you can start turning around. You know, give $25. I don't I don't care if you give it to me, I want you to give it to somebody who is actually trying to take care of the needy of society. Now, use good common sense and do little research to find out who that is. But you should be gathering together. You know, a lot of people have home churches and they gather together. Spiritual life, a spiritual life is not an emotional life. Do not equate emotionalism, sentiment, with spirituality. But that's what people do. And it's just not what it is. That's not that's not what spiritual... Spiritual is actually devoid of emotion. There's absolutely no emotionalism whatsoever in spirituality. Emotion can be a tool. That if you're led by the spirit, you might use... That tool, but spirituality is not the result of an emotional feeling. You should not be trying to draw up an emotional feeling so anyway we're going we're going to talk about a number of other things that something that came up this uh, I guess it was actually the week before because uh, we had a big wedding here we had people from Brazil. Uh, I was trying to think of all the places, Vietnam, uh, Sweden, Norway, uh, Netherlands. um, I'm probably forgetting several people. (laughs) And I don't know, nearly 100 people showed up and uh, we had a a, a wedding. Uh, It was out in a field and uh, very cold that morning. Actually, it snowed a little bit the night before, but by the time the wedding started... Sun came out, and it warmed up pretty good, and uh, everything worked out okay. Uh, A lot of people thought that was a miracle in that. (laughs) But, uh, uh, anyway, it it did work out. They were adamant about having it in the field, and so that's where we had it. Uh, Because some local lady closed down the the local church building, which usually is available for those kinds of events. It's a generic church building that anybody could use because it was built by the community but uh we didn't need the building uh because the church we know is not really about the building it's about the people the church is people it's not a building but anyway uh somebody had asked about midwife uh in genesis thirty-five seventeen, and i may have addressed that already but uh it's still here in my notes uh, notes and uh the word we see translated midwife there is Yad-Lamad-Deleth. Uh, and uh, that is only translated, uh, it, it appears about 500 times in the Bible. It's only translated midwife 10 times. <laughs> 500 times, 10 times midwife. Normally it's translated something like to bear or to bring forth or beget uh, or travail. And that's the idea. And once you start understanding Hebrew words, you realize that they are very conceptual words. They may have, they may, you know, like the same word for honor is the same word for, for liver. And uh, the same word for kidney is the same word for control. The same exact word. And so all these things in your physical body have are symbols of something that is more metaphoric and... And abstract. And that's what we have to take a look at. When if we're going to understand things like spiritual mechanics and the way of Christ. Is we have to understand the precepts and principles. And we'll do that when we come back. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, if we're uh, we're looking at uh, this idea of seeking the kingdom of God in His righteousness, we would be following certain patterns, and uh, those patterns can only be followed with spiritual help of God, It actually energizes your flesh through the Spirit. Your body is composed of millions and millions and millions and millions of little tiny cells. Uh, The blood cells are fascinating because they actually move around. But all your cells are intercommunicating. And what goes on in your cells, in your digestive system, in the cells of your intestines, in the cells of your heart, in the cells of your liver, in the cells of your kidney, all of those things are affected by... Your spiritual reality. Your spiritual. The spiritual presence in your body. When the spirit departeth, the body begins to rot almost immediately. It begins to decay. Some of it's still growing, but it's also decaying. Well, a lot of you are decaying right now. And you're not dead yet. You're already decaying inside. You're being poisoned inside. We talked about herbicides and insecticides being used on on uh, crops you know you can get rid of a lot of uh, insect pests by simply balancing the soil once you balance the soil properly to what that plant is going to need the pests will be less likely to eat those plants the fact that you have pests eating your plants is that the is usually a sign that the, the plant is under stress. And that's why people get sick, is their body is under stress. And that stress can be because they're eating poisoned foods. Uh, you know, they actually go out and they put, I was trying to remember the name of the particular uh, herbicide. Uh, I, I, I It escapes me at the moment. But they actually take herbicide, and they spray wheat crops with this herbicide. Not to kill the weeds. Although it will kill weeds. But to kill the wheat. Because they want all the wheat dead at the same time. So that when they come through with a big combine. they All the seeds will be already dead. Already drying out. And easy for that big combine to thrash and turn into just wheat seeds. It will clean out the weed seeds and you'll just have the wheat seeds. But if that wheat is, some of it still green uh, and soft. The thresher will beat up that that grain and crush it. And, and it will be more likely to spoil, etc. There are a lot of problems that come when the wheat is not completely dry. If they kill it all. It will be dry. Problem is, the residues of those herbicides are getting into your food. And some of you are reacting. One of the plagues that we're suffering today in modern medicine is gastrointestinal problems. And a lot of people think it's the gluten in the wheat. And it may have some truth to that. But the reality is, in that gluten, may be these pesticides in different forms and different chemical makeups. Plus the fact that the process of wheat drying requires microorganisms in the wheat to act upon that wheat to prepare it to go into this state of dormancy. That may be interfered with. This is one of the things this microbiologist is talking about. When you you put these herbicides in vast amounts on crops, it also affects microorganisms in the soil. The soil must be alive for the crops to live. You you can have all the minerals there that you need, but if the soil actually dies, the microorganisms in the soil, this will cause the plant not to live in that soil. It'll actually cause weeds to grow. It's kind of like people who drink uh, diet soda. Diet soda has no sugar, and sugar can be fattening. But the diet soda can actually cause you to get fat. <laughs> That's right. Because a different process is created when you're drinking pop with like aspartame and these other sugar substitutes. But with most people, it's all about what it tastes like. And and what they think and feel. I feel like I'm doing something to reduce my weight by drinking the diet soda. But the, drinking the diet soda may actually be causing you to get fat or overweight. But they don't understand these things. And they don't want to know. They don't want to take the time to think about these things and ponder these things and look at the research. They just want to do their own thing. I mean, they just, they don't want to be bothered with it. They they don't want to have to worry about their neighbor. They don't have to worry about. You know, providing the services of society. Let somebody else worry about that. The modern Christian is not following the way of Christ, or they are following the way of Nimrod. Nimrod was a provider too, but he was also a predator, he exercised authority one over the other. your daily practice of your civil religion is causing the energy in your body to flow according to a different harmony, a different melody. You are biting one another and you are have become devoured. You want to change that process. You have to repent. You have to think differently. You have to turn around and realize... I have to provide for my neighbor, for the needs of my neighbor. Now, you may not be able to go cold turkey, but you have to start gathering together for that purpose because that's righteous, to take care of one another with love. That's righteous. And that is the righteousness of God's kingdom. If you're taking care of one another through force, or being taken care of, by the forced contributions of a government like Nimrods you're you're setting a spiritual pattern in you that is not christ you're you're setting a spiritual pattern in you that's Nimrod that's like Cain like Caesar, and every cell in your body is hearing the frequency the The harmony of that faith in Nimrod. Not faith in Christ. You use the word Christ, but you take his name in vain. Because you're not walking in the ways of Christ. You you gather in your little home church and you pat each other on the back and you hug each other and you talk about Jesus. But there's no kingdom there. Because you're not taking care of one another. You're taking care of one another in your little group. And you might even go out and you know do a little charitable work on the side. You know, you can always find some street bum or somebody who needs help. But you're really thinking kingdom. You know, I, I talked about this how, uh, you know, the, the, the Paul, Barnabas, they were taking supplies and funds all across the known world, to, from country to country. How come the people in Jerusalem cared enough to send funds to Syria or the people in Galatia cared enough to send funds to Corinth? Wasn't there needy in Galatia? Galatia was one of the poorest of the poor. And yet, there they are sending funds to Corinth. It was actually fairly well off, but their economies were faltering. Economies are faltering now. I mean, what is, Puerto Rico just went bankrupt. $74 Seventy four billion dollars in debt and you know the repercussions of that <laughs> will be felt <laughs> even in the United States. I mean, somebody pointed out that's one of the headquarters of the IRS, they're stationed there. <laughs> so and the nation they in well the 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 island is not it's it's a protectorate of the United States. It can't even negotiate its own bankruptcy. But that's a, that's another whole matter. I've talked about that before with others. The reality is there's all kinds of things going on behind the scenes. And Russia and China and there was just uh, some virus that went around and was closing hospitals. Just a, just a, a internet virus was going around. And closing facilities. Can you imagine what would happen if your government fell apart? If Nimrod's government today fell apart, what would happen? How dependent are you upon it? Well, you should be independent of it. You know, we we have electric lights in the uh, next room. And we have a kerosene lamp also in the next room. And we have candles in the drawer. And we have an electric stove on one side of the kitchen and we have a wood stove on the other side of the kitchen. <laughs> so it's because power goes out here sometimes for days. And we, we're equipped to handle that. But things will change and change and change if the power were to shut down. If the government, you know, I mean, it, I mean, it just went bankrupt and they they didn't fix the problem. They agreed to borrow more money. Anybody taking a government benefit is cursing their children. Anybody take it because the government's broke. All the money that it provides you, it borrows from the future. And your children will be expected to pay it back. Some of your children may not have to pay it back. One of two reasons. One is they'll be dead. And therefore, we'll not have to pay it back. And two, because the entire system will collapse and fail. And exactly the process that that takes will be in several stages. But those stages may come faster than you can imagine. But that's not what we want you to worry about. We want you to worry about the fact that you're not actually walking, working... Living according to the ways of Christ. According to the ordinances of Christ. The welfare state exists as a result of large amounts of people who do not come together to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And they are not coming together to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness because they're following false religions that talk all about Jesus, but simply do not do what Jesus says. They're empowering the governments of the world. Because they seek the benefits of the world. And of course, they may have to continue to seek those benefits until they completely turn around. Their churches are fake benefactors. They aren't really taking care of the needy of their society. There's a couple of churches that kind of do. But then we can talk about what they're missing. You should be... Your entire social welfare should be the result of charitable practices. Not covetous practices. Right now, they're covetous practices. You can change that if you actually gather together in real congregations, connected by an actual knowledge of one another. And... What really connects you, people talk about it, relationships, what really will connect you is the fact that you are actually coming in the name of Christ. Christ came and laid down His life. Gave up His life. Now, we just started a Free Church uh, Report study group. And we have the, the first study took place on May 9th, as we said it was. And there were quite a few people there. there were, I kept hearing people coming on, ding, 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 ding. And we only got about a 45-minute recording out of it because we had some glitches, because we kind of had some problems with the system. Uh, We will be doing it again next Tuesday, which is the 16th. And we will be... And I have already posted the recording on the first page. And if you go to the network at preparing you, or at HisHolyChurch.org and join the network. They'll inform you of all the details. But really, what you want to do is join a congregation and start giving because that's where the relationship is going to make a real difference. You know, there are several words in the Bible that are translated ordinance. And we, we may get into that before we're done here today. But... um Somebody sent me who's an engineer he sent me this end times uh, ministry links and everything and uh, he talks about uh that there were a number of things that you're going to need to to change the way you know to prepare for these end times and he he's, he lists off a number of them and he talks about relationship requires deep worship and hearing and he says, relationship requires this deep worship. That's one of the first things that he says. And he goes on to talk about uh, seven things. uh Let's see, where does he put it? Seven components of drawing close to the Creator. And we've talked many times before is that what draws you close, and it actually comes from the word to mean draw near, is sacrifice. Sacrifice your time. Sacrifice your energy, sacrifice your blood, your sweat, your toil. And that will draw you close. Now, even though that will draw you closer to the kingdom of God and His righteousness, there are many stumbling blocks that can keep you from it. And we should look at all those. His list of the seven components for this relationship. One is, he says, decision. Decide that the Creator exists and decide to seek and keep a personal relationship with Him. Where do you make this decision? Do you make it while you're sitting over there eating in the tree of knowledge? See, because he thinks it's study. You know, but study, you know, study to show thyself approved is actually the word be diligent to show thyself approved. That word there in the Greek is never translated study except that one place. Everywhere else it says be diligent. So the decision that the Creator exists is not an intellectual decision. It's a decision of the heart and mind. And it's a, it comes through a process. You have to be diligent in deciding in deciding in accepting the idea that there is a creator. Something greater than yourself. And decide to seek that deep personal relationship. You actually have to be diligent. That's, that's the decision. But it's not an intellectual one. You're not going to do it by your will alone. It's an ongoing change of the very heart and soul of your being. The intellect may come along with it, but the fact is it's not a mental choice. It's a choice of the spirit deep within you. You don't walk in a spiritual life. You think emotion is spiritual. You think feelings is spiritual. You don't even know what that spiritual is. Not really. Not as much as you need to know. But in, if you are diligent in your daily sacrifice... In your daily walk with forgiveness and giving. God will show you. Because I can't reveal it to you. I, I I just simply don't have the... I would have, I could, but I can't. It can be revealed deep in that spiritual existence. Which again is not emotional. It's this spiritual mechanics you need to understand. We've been talking about regularly. He says prayer... A range of prayers intended to enable you to get much closer to the Creator. Now, prayer is what you desire. You can't change that either intellectually. You don't change it by changing the words in your mouth. What do you really want? You want to be comfortable? You want to have a lot of stuff? You want to be secure? Or do you really want to know the giver of life? Well, then you have to be a giver of life. You have to give life. If you if you don't want to be controlled by others, stop trying to control others. Allow others to be. Just become desire to become that witness. Mostly it's about shutting down your I want, I want, I want and allowing yourself to want not my will but thine will. That is your prayer. He talks about fasting. It is not possible to get really close to the Almighty without fasting. Well, the fact is, if you have something and you give it away, that's fasting. Because you don't have it anymore. You gave it up. It's not just about not eating. Or It's about giving away the life that God has given you. You lay down your life so that you may have life more abundant. You change the flow. You think to have life more abundant, you get more stuff, more things, more wealth, more whatever. And you're trying to pull it in from outside. The kingdom of God operates the other way. Christ was rich. He gave it all away. His apostles were well to do. And he says, no, you have to give that all up. And own all things in common and share live a life of sharing every day you get up to serve others you want to do that join the ministry it's not about you it's about your life is about other people's life putting in the time to help other people get united with their family get united with reality get united with Christ He talks about cleansing as one of these seven steps. The earth is controlled by the satanic realm of demons. Well, actually, your world is, but the earth is not. Jesus has set it free. But you've been inviting the satanic in, the adversary in, because you've been going to the adversary for your benefits, for your life for your education, for your child's care, for your parents' care. You've been empowering Satan. Yeah, he was unchained about a thousand years ago. And he rose up along with the bullions and, and um, William the Conqueror and Martin and all, Stephen and all these different kings rose up and have been oppressing people ever since. We had a few opportunities for freedom, but now we oppress our neighbor to get free education, free health care, free social security. The spirit of Satan is alive and well in the churches of America today. And they give they say we do we're doing all this in Jesus' name, but they're actually workers of iniquity because they encourage people to covet their neighbors' goods through the agency of government. They think worship is singing. Worship is not singing. <laughs> Worship is not praising with your mouth. Worship is bowing down to the ways of Christ. He talks about research. You are unique. You need Your needs are unique. The value you can add to the Creator is unique. You don't add any value to the Creator. You, you, you may be unique, but you, you're not bringing. God doesn't need you. You need God. You need the spiritual nature of God pulsing in your heart and mind. Vibrating. Harmonizing with the ways of God. And what draws you closer is not research, but service. And the last thing he talks action, you have to be a doer of the word. He talks religion is based on head knowledge. He says religion is driven by this head knowledge of the teachings of men. No religion is the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man it's not It's not about catechisms and studying and memorization. see he doesn't even know what religion is but Again, I'm not dealing with him as an individual, so I don't know if I explain that to him. He might be receptive to that. But right now, he's operating under the false belief that religion is head knowledge. It's not. It's not what you think about God. It's how you fulfill your duty to God and your fellow man. He says, relationship desires the best for Yah. I, it doesn't even hardly make sense to me. But because he doesn't need you, you need him. But we'll talk more about this when we come back. We'll get to the, the heart of this and ordinances and a few other things as soon as we get back.
0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.
1: Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about uh, this idea of relationships, spirituality, etc., and the kingdom of God, and how you turn around, how you repent. That's what repenting means, to turn around, to think a different way. So, how do you turn around and think that different way? And then this engineer uh, talking about end times and end times ministry starts talking about religion is based on head knowledge, but religion is not. Religion. Pure religion is how you take care of the needy of your society. And it's only pure if you do it unspotted by the constitutional orders and systems of governments of the world. In other words, you do not use the methods of Nimrod in any way, shape, or form to take care of the needy of your society, of your community. What's the difference between a society and a community? Well, we talk about that, and that's a big, long uh in-depth thing, but basically, communities have a common communion. They share the bread. Your communion is through food stamps, welfare, aid to, uh, dependence, uh, Social Security. That's your communion. That's how you take care of one another. That's your religion. The little wafer they stick on your tongue, that's just to... You know, you put on your religious face, you know, your, you know, your pious face. That's just hypocrisy. That little wafer, that doesn't mean anything. That's just crumb. But it makes you feel good. So you do it. Your communion is at the hands of Nimrod and other Nimrods of the world. Because you go to the men who exercise authority and pray to them for your benefits. That's your relationship. That's not a relationship with God. Now, you can go to some religious group, based on modern religious terminology, and they will conjure up a feeling that you're righteous. But that's self-righteousness. And those are the ones who will be told, get ye from me, ye workers of iniquity. So religion is not based on knowledge. Modern term religion... Is based on knowledge because it's become what you think about God, but it used to be the performance of your duty to your fellow man, which Jesus told you what that was. Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Yeah, you know, If you have two coats and your neighbor has none, share. Do the same in meats. Do the same in bread. Rightly divide the bread from house to house like the early church. You don't do that now. And that's why you're far from the kingdom of God. You want to turn around and head back towards the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You have to gather together, not just in a local congregation, but in a network of congregations. Each one caring about other congregations. They don't even know as much as themselves. Casting your bread upon the water. You cast $25 a month. Expect $25 a month back when you have a need. If you give $100 a month, well, that's pretty good. I could almost buy a cup of coffee every day. But thanks you know, to God, I don't drink coffee, so I will use the money for something else. <laughs> and I don't care if you donate to me or the, some other church. You have to figure that out. I want you to follow the Spirit within your heart. And start do actually really seeking the kingdom of God as if your very soul depended upon it. Because guess what? It does. He he talks about relationship desires the best for Yah and I thought that was stupid. Um uh, sorry, but I think that's stupid. The best for Yah <laughs> God doesn't need anything from you. You need God. He doesn't need you. You need His Spirit dwelling in you. But you got to make room for His Spirit. And one of the ways to make room for His Spirit is gather for the purpose of sacrifice. Not for fellowship. For sacrifice. Fellowship with Christ is to come together to sacrifice. I mean, really sacrifice. I mean, the guy who wanted to be a minister of the church and wanted to do more, he said, I give half of everything I have today. I give it away. Half of everything I produce, I give away. Every day. Half. And Jesus said, Well, no. you have to give all if you want to be one of our ministers. Whoa. I don't know about that. Jesus did. If you're coming in the name of Jesus, that's what you have to do. Religion is based on pride in knowledge. His definition of religion today. But that's not pure religion. Relationship understands that few know Yah. Well, I agree that few... No, he says relationships understand that few know Yah. Well, I agree, but I don't know that he does. I don't see anything in here that would lead me to believe that he does. He says here, religion is based on what people think and believe. Well, the modern definition, yes. But it, he he goes on and later talks about Scripture. Well, in Scripture, religion is based on what you do for your fellow man. It's based on sacrifice. So, but this is, this is I'm looking at this because you have been a victim of the same things that he's a victim of. They're a victim of this idea that seeking the righteousness is really just self-righteousness. Imagining that I know, that I understand already, that I have this emotional feeling that I love God. I love Jesus. It makes me feel so good. But they're not. They don't really see. They they're blind. I mean, all those people came. He says many will come to me saying, "We look at all these things we've done in your name." You know, Joe Osteen. <laughs> uh, you know, Billy Graham. Billy Graham's biggest fear is that God will say to him, "Get ye from me, ye worker of iniquity." And although the guy is probably a really nice guy, the reality is he hasn't been preaching the gospel of the kingdom. All those people with their altar calls, they go up to the altar, but they are not taking care of one another. They certainly are not practicing pure religion. They are not taking care of all the needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity. And that's what pure religion is. They are still heavily dependent upon the Nimrods of the world who exercise authority one over the other. You know, this word ordinance I've mentioned earlier, defined today uh, in the dictionary, a piece of legislation enacted by municipal authorities. But when when the Bible was written, there was a different definition of the word we see appearing as ordinance. The first place we see the term uh, in the New Testament is in Luke 1.6. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Do you? Or do you covet your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority? The word in that particular verse of Luke 1.6 is dekeioma, uh, which uh, is translated ordinance three times. But four times it's translated righteousness. It is also translated judgment twice. And even translated justification once. In Romans 5.16. Where the word judgment had already appeared. Uh, from the Greek word krima. So you have the this this word translated judgment twice, but there's actually another word, crema, that means judgment, that is used in the Bible, and they didn't use that. So, the, the idea of being able to change or translate these words uh, so many different ways allows you to set about creating your own doctrine. So the next time we see the word ordinance in the Bible, it is translated from a different Greek word, the etage, which actually means disposition or arrangement. So that's that's completely di- it's a completely almost completely different word and and uh, certainly means something different. But when you read the Bible, you're just reading ordinance. Like it's the same kind of ordinance that you saw earlier in Luke one six. In Romans thirteen two, we see whoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that uh, resist shall receive to themselves damnation. So, but that's the uh, diatage the disposition, the arrangement of God. The arrangement of God is that you live by faith, hope, and charity. You're resisting the ordinances of God when you resist the right to choose. Because the word there, power, is the word for right to choose. Because there's seven different words that could be translated into power and authority. But you don't know these things because... Now, you don't need to have a perfect translation of the Bible to figure out what is true because it isn't by flesh and blood that the mysteries of the kingdom of God are revealed. It's by revelation. Should you be living by forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare or should you be living by faith, hope, and charity? Which is love. Should you be living by the perfect law of liberty? Because you're not doing it now. You don't gather... There are so many people who agree with so many things I say, but they do not gather in congregations. They do not give daily. They don't buy Jesus a cup of coffee a day. What, you know, at Starbucks. If you bought Jesus a cup of coffee a day at Starbucks, that would be 5 bucks a day. What is that? Five times 30? That's $150 a month. Would you buy Jesus a cup of coffee a day? Is that what you're giving daily to Christ, to His kingdom, to your search for His kingdom? Do you care? Are you searching for the kingdom just for yourself or are you searching for other people? So what is the arrangement that God has? If there is a need, you fill it. How do you know if there's a need? I don't see any need. I'm sitting here in my living room on my couch and I don't see no need. So I don't see any reason to give. You know there's need. You're just avoiding it. You're not gathering together in a congregation where a minister is checking on the people in his congregation on a regular basis and wanting to know, do you have a need? Is the need legitimate? Is the need the result of things beyond your control? Could you, Could you, you know, you don't have a job. You're not making enough money. You're not getting by to pay your bills. Why don't you have a job? Well, I only want to do things that make me happy. (laughs) I'm sorry. If it only makes you happy if somebody else sacrifices, but you don't sacrifice, you don't get anything. You don't work, you don't eat. I don't have a job because I got fired because I was taking drugs. Well, then maybe you need to stop taking drugs. I mean, why do you take drugs? I know a guy who chews tobacco. His father was an alcoholic. He's not an alcoholic, but he chewed tobacco. And I, he told me once, he only chewed tobacco to help him cope with the stress of his job. He had a lot of stress in his job. Uh, and I said, "Well, no, you don't chew tobacco to help with the stress, deal with stress. You chew tobacco so that you don't have to deal with stress. <laughs> it's that simple. You take drugs because." You're not happy already. Why aren't you happy already? Because you're not really seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness as much as you should. You, that's the thing. is, People seek it a little bit, but they need, need to seek it more. You know, they, they want to do what's right, but they don't want to do what's righteous. Righteous is doing everything right. And of course, you're not going to do everything right to start with. You have to work in that direction. There's another word, uh, you know, so here, here, look again in First Corinthians 11.2. We see, now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. So, what word is that? Well, that's that paradosis. This word paradosis is normally translated tradition. A dozen times it's translated tradition. Is from the word uh, paradidomi. Which means to give into the hands of another. And commonly translated deliver or betray. That's what, what it's from. That's the word it's from. You know when he says it by your traditions. He was talking about Corban. Remember when Jesus talked about Corban. And your tra- the tra- that tradition. That That ordinance. The word paradosis is probably the closest to our modern use of the word ordinance. Of all the words that we see appearing, in, at least in the New Testament. Uh, there's still another word, sometimes translated ordinance, which is dogma. Which can mean a public decree by a ruler, like a king or a senator, or a government authority. But it is also defined as a doctrine which should normally mean teachings. When Jesus is telling you to do certain things, that's his doctrine. That's his dogma. That is is the decree of Jesus, King Jesus. There is another king, one Jesus. That's why they did contrary to the decrees of Caesar. They weren't disobeying Caesar. They were obeying their king. The early Christianity, they claimed there was another king. This was the kingdom of God. This was Israel. The church was Israel. People don't like to hear that. But he took the kingdom away from the Pharisees who said they had no king but Caesar and wanted the benefits of Caesar, which is, that's why you get the benefits because he's your king. And he took the kingdom from them by the words of their own mouth and he says, I appoint unto you a kingdom. The apostles, who happened to be all Jews at the time. That's that's Israel. I mean, where do these guys go? They go right to the temple. And they work daily in the temple. Jews. Appointed by the king of Israel. Working daily in the temple. And they talk about the Jews being scattered. and You know, in this... Uh, the uh, time that would come with the fall of of uh, the temple, and the Jews of Israel were scattered, but it wasn't the Jews who were following Caesar it was the Jews that were following the king <laughs> Israel <laughs> the church was Israel that that is israel that's because that's where God prevailed is with those Jews who followed Jesus. People all say, oh, the kingdom was postponed because the Jews didn't accept Jesus. All the apostles were Jews. They all accepted Jesus. Those thousands at Pentecost, they accepted Jesus. It's like you're not even paying attention to accept these ideas that the... The kingdom wasn't established. He says it was established. He says, I appointed it to you. They say there is another king. You just don't understand how the kingdom works. The kingdom works by the perfect law of liberty, by faith, hope, and charity. There is no compulsory taxes, but there is a tithe. And it's not just animal products or byproducts. It's your byproduct. It's your sweat and blood. And when you sacrifice, you are drawn near Christ. And you will receive the revelation of Christ if you set aside these stumbling blocks like unforgiveness, pride, vanity. It's that simple. Ephesians 2.15 says, Having abolished in His flesh the enmity, Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. For to make in himself of twain one new man. So making peace. We need to come to peace with the ordinances of Christ. And start practicing pure religion. Taking care of one another. There is no way to do that without gathering together and casting your bread upon the waters. Loving not just those in your little congregation of congregations, but loving other congregations near and far. You have to be laying down your life. Laying down a cup of coffee a day is not laying down your life, but it's a start. You should be, if you won't, won't lay down enough to buy a cup of coffee from Jesus, for Jesus. <laughs> you ought to at least lay down enough that he could make his own coffee. <laughs> that, it's that simple. And I tell you, something happens in the spiritual realm when you really start sacrificing. Now, I will tell you this. I will warn you ahead of time. If you start giving on a regular basis, you will not be giving for pure reasons. But in, in giving, you may come face to face with the impurity of your own heart. The selfishness of your own heart. You're giving so that you can get something back. That That's a stumbling block. You don't want to do that. But intellectually, you know, you can't just stop that. This is a journey within your own heart. And sometimes... In, in order to be a minister, you not only have to take that journey in your own heart. Do you, do you overeat? Do you oversleep? Do you, are you lazy? Are you distracted? Uh, are you self-indulgent? Uh, I mean, you can have all kinds of addictions and problems. But going deep into your own heart to face those problems, you will be released from them. And part of that process is the sacrifice for others. Lay down your life for others so that God will energize you so that you can overcome your fault. That is fasting. Fasting from what you could have consumed or used up or uh indulged in. Just give it up. And you'll you'll slip and fall, then you get back up. You admit I slipped and fall, and get back up. And begin to focus on doing this not just to make yourself better but to help others. Sacrificing your time, your selfishness for others. And a spiritual process can then start taking place that will reveal to you the kingdom of God and His ways. And energize you to do what is right. This, this word uh that we see uh five times in the Bible that this decrees, this dogma. We see it in Luke two one, Acts sixteen four, Acts seventeen seven, Ephesians two fifteen, Colossians two fourteen. It's this, this word that we see often translated decrees, but in Colossians 2.14 it's translated ordinances. He says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, decrees, that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. What was nailed to the cross besides Jesus? A sign that says, this is the King of the Jews, this is the King of the Jews, this is the King of the Jews. They were a government. They were an alternative form of government that operated by faith, hope, and charity. That's what you're supposed to be seeking. How are you seeking that by simply reading your Bible in your little house or house church? You're only seeking that if you're giving into that to take care of needy, not only those that you know, but those that you don't know. It's that simple. This is why we see in Colossians 2.14 that Jesus blotted out the handwriting, the handwritten ordinances for the true Christians who followed Christ in their hearts and in their minds. When Paul's talking about us and we, he's talking about people who are doing that. He's not talking about people who are just gathering together to feel good and generate a feeling of feeling good. And then there's another word in the Greek that is also translated ordinance or subject to ordinances, which is dogmatizo, which is from the word dogma. And we see it in Colossians 2.20, wherefore it be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world. That word rudiments is also translated to elements. We have an article up. You can read it. What are the elements of the world? What are the elements of Christ? What are the elements of the kingdom of God? Because the world is a constitutional order and system of government of men that is often following the ways of Nimrod, forcing their neighbor to contribute to their welfare. So why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? the dogmatizo. Because you aren't dead to the rudiments of the world. You're still praying to men who call themselves benefactors to exercise authority. And even if you are not, and you don't want any of their benefits, are you becoming the benefactors of a community, community of people who are seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Because Jesus didn't come to serve himself. He came to serve others. If you're not gathering together to serve others, you're not gathering in the name of Christ. You see how this all works together? For good? There, there's even another word translated ordinance. We see it in 1 Peter 2.13. A popular thing that people bring up. Submit yourself to every ordinance. Isn't that... Is that a dogma? Is that... uh paradosis what is that word there ordinance that they they have in and submit yourself which actually leaves off a word at the beginning of first you know we have a whole article on first peter 2:13 therefore submit yourself so you have to read the the verse before that to even understand what he's talking about and then you also have to understand that Peter was one of the leaders of a government that was taking care of all the social welfare of the people. Through faith, hope, and charity. So what word does appear as ordinance in that First Peter 2.13? And sh- should we bother looking at it and understanding it. So that we can understand what this whole thing about ordinances is all about. Actually what we're going to do is we're going to go to another article. And I'll tell you what that word is when we come back the keys of the kingdom. Okay, welcome back. Uh, the The word that we were, this final word that I was going to talk to you about, we're just dealing with the New Testament ordinances, the places where it appears, is is the word uh which uh, appears in twelve verses as as creature instead of ordinance. <laughs> and uh six times it appears as creation, so what the heck what what does that word mean that uh that it can appear as ordinance but also as creature and we see it in mark sixteen fifteen as an example, and he said unto them, "Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature well, creature is something you know like it's also translated creation. It's something that is created. Corporations are creatures. Governments are creatures. They're created by men. And they're the creation of men. So he's going out. They're supposed to go out and all the constitutional orders and systems of government and say, you know, you guys should be doing this by charity. You should not be doing this by force. Now you understand what the Christian conflict was. They were taking care of all the needy of their society through charity, while the Romans had this vast system of free bread and circuses and welfare operating through men who call themselves benefactors, but they really just take away from their neighbor. We see that today more than any other time in history in the world. Socialists everywhere, everybody say, you gotta take care of the needy, you know, and they condemn violently condemn people who say you should do this by charity the war against christ is taking place and it's taking place in the churches because they won't preach the gospel of the kingdom that the kingdom of god is at hand that was appointed to the apostles who are taking care of the needy and rightly dividing the bread from house to house right in the temple taking care of the needy of their society, even forming these external organizations, these auxiliaries. We talked about that in the Pre-Church Report study. Uh, That was one of the questions that came up about what is a church auxiliary. And I won't go into all of it, but if you were actually doing what the early church would be doing, you would be doing more to prepare for the end times or calamities that are coming yeah, than buying gold and silver. Which was just mentioned in a commercial break. <laughs> so uh I'm not against that. You can go certainly do that. But you should be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You should be investing in the ways of the kingdom. Because as you lay down your life, as you sacrifice daily, you are drawn nearer to God and you will become closer to the revelation of God that you will need to know, should I go? Should I leave? Should I pack the canoe? Should I take the gun? Should I... Whatever. You don't know because you're not being guided by the Spirit. You're being guided by emotionalism and by intellectualism. And that is not a good guide. You need to repent, turn around, and do something completely different. So, I have another article that we put up and I was going to talk about, and I, I guess we have a little bit of time we can talk about it. And it's, uh, should we give? And of course, that's what we've been talking about. Should we give? But if we should give, how should we give? How much should we give? How often should we give? What does it mean to lay down your life so that you can pick up your life more abundant? What does it mean to cast your bread upon the waters? So, in hope, That will come back to you after many days. Because there is no entitlements. In the kingdom of God. We get requests for help. All the time. From people who get uh, access to us. Through the internet or broadcast or whatever. And if you want help from us. And you know about us. And some of these people have known about us from years. Uh, they, they've they heard about us, they've read about us, some of us have met, I've met with them. Are they a part of a congregation? Are they contributing in that congregation on a regular basis according to their needs and their ability or whatever? Because if they're not, they're not with us. They are not a part of us. That doesn't mean we can't help them. We may still decide to help them. As a matter of fact, that's part of the program to even help people who are not in your congregations. But if they've known about us for 10 years or 5 years or 2 years or 1 year and have not sought to become a part of a free assembly or a congregation or a core group, then why, why would we want to contribute to somebody of such a slothful nature, such a selfish nature. Oh, but they had their little home church or they got together at this little Bible study. and and, Okay, go there. Go to them and ask. See, this is one of the things you don't understand. The ministers are not there to dictate to you what to think and what to believe. They will tell you what they believe. And they will read the Scriptures with you. And they will examine the Scriptures with you. They have no problem in doing that. Well, I I wouldn't say they have no problem in doing it. Some of them are still a little confused about it. but, But that's okay. You work that out amongst yourselves with fear and trembling. But that minister is there to connect you to other congregations. Because if you only love those in your congregation, you've got no grace. That's what Jesus says. What grace have you if you only love those who love you? Who come together in your little, little group. Your little congregation. Your little assembly. It's not kingdom unless you're loving somebody in Corinth. As much as you love those in Galatia. Or as much as you love those in Jerusalem. Wherever you're at. You have to. This is kingdom. Jesus came for the whole world. He did not come to sacrifice his life just for the apostles or just for his family. That's coming in the name of Christ. That's what you have to do. That has to be embossed in your very spiritual nature. But it's not. It's not even in your heads because you're not gathering together in this network of free assemblies. You know, I, I... I just talked to somebody about the Hammond case. We know the Hammonds were unjustly treated. We know that that's a land grab of the Hammonds. You can go look up the word Hammond on Preparing You, and it'll tell you some of the story. The old man is still in jail, and the young husband is still in jail. Uh, and they didn't do anything. They actually saved property, they protected property, they did the right thing. Uh, and, and they were not terrorists. They were not <laughs> injuring anybody. They were stopping a fire, which they actually did. And yet they went to jail. And it's it's a gross travesty that they went to jail. And it's all just to force them to sell their property because there's gold and uranium under their property. Now, I mean, there are people who are self-righteous thinking that, oh, they're doing some sort of but they're just totally deceived, bureaucratic, foolish people. But, you know, the, but I see the people who are putting petitions up on the White House petition site. There's been several of them to get the Hammonds released. And they get, you know, a few thousand people on this petition and a few thousand. But they're different groups. All fighting for this, uh, and, and they, they mix other things in there, which is one of the problems. They can't just focus on coming together and doing something about that injustice. Well, you, you, yeah, when you see a terrible injustice, people get all worked up. But there's injustices everywhere. All over the world. You have to focus on coming together and seeking that righteousness. Again, injustice, judgment. uh, We were just talking about that with these words ordinance. The word is that one of the words was translated judgment. Another one was translated righteousness. Another one is translated creature. You have created creatures of unrighteousness because you have gathered together with the intent of taking away from your neighbor, and you yourself have been devoured into bondage. Now, you want to change that bondage to freedom and to liberty under God? You have to gather together and willingly sacrifice for the good of others. For the benefit of others. Coming together. If you had a network of charity, not only would you have covered that network of charity that would be there when the systems of the world collapse, you would also have thousands of people who would sign the petition if you were thrown into jail unjustly. Thousands, tens of thousands of people who would all make a phone call and say, let our minister go. Let our friend go. Because what you are doing to him is unjustice. You would be shining a light on injustice left and right and right and left and everywhere you go. And a table of righteousness would be set for you. You don't really want righteousness now. What you want is mercy. (laughs) But if you want mercy, you need to show mercy to others. And the way to do that is to gather together to become the benefactors who don't exercise authority. To gather in congregations of caring about one another, about judgment, about righteousness, about mercy. The weightier matters that Jesus talked about. Uh, These people who get a hold of us, even when they let us know they need help, Their first request is for aid or assistance, rather than an expression of a desire to join a congregation to aid others. It's all about them. To gather in the name of Christ is to gather for His purposes. And His purpose was to serve others. Of course, we know that there are always the sacrifice of the red heifer. Like I said, do you know what the sacrifice of the red heifer was? It was foreign aid. So we will help those who are not in our congregation. Because many of the people that are in our congregations are independent they don't really need help every day. It doesn't mean that you cannot start giving. Oh, nobody needs help. We won't give anything. No. Evangelize. You should give every day. Your heart beats every day, whether you're running or not. Your heart beats while you sleep. So shouldn't your giving be every day, in every way, to those near and far, to the red heifer? To, you know, again, red heifer, that's four and eight. That's eight outside the camp. That's the sacrifice that is consumed outside the camp, not consumed inside the camp. And they talk about gathering up the ashes. That's all metaphor, and, and of course, those ashes have value. <laughs> That's what, but again, the ashes is a metaphor for what? Do you follow the metaphor? Do you understand the principles? If if you in nature, all, all always we see in nature. The plants die. They become the humus. They enrich the soil. We were just talking about weeds. Certain weeds will draw certain minerals more than other weeds. So if there are certain minerals lacking in the surface of the soil. The weeds that have tap roots that go down. You notice how many weeds have this root that goes just straight down? Why? Because it's gathering the minerals that are missing in the surface of the soil. So it's going to naturally germinate in soils that are missing that mineral and pull that mineral back up in its own leaves. And when it dies, those minerals will be mixed with organic material where they can feed the soil with their dead bodies. The weeds feed the soil with their dead bodies. So you grind them back in. I've I've had a hard time trying to teach people that. When you... That you need to compost your weeds. (laughs) So that. They say. But the weed seeds are there. So. So are the minerals. So are all the nutrients. That those weeds pulled up. From deep within the ground. They're all there too. And you want that to go back. Onto the soil. Because that's why the weed grew. Is to bring that to the soil. So it's fine that amongst your congregations. There are people who are weeds because they're going to draw what you need. They will they will actually they can actually with the induction of the Holy Spirit fertilize your congregation. So don't drive people away. Draw people. And then try to draw them to the ways of Christ and to the Holy Spirit. But you have to gather together to make this happen you have to to understand and follow that in proverbs thirteen twenty four it says is a part of uh uh you know, this uh, uh, let me let me read proverbs uh, thirteen twenty three first much food is it the tillage of the poor, but there is that is destroyed for want of judgment. I was gonna to read to you uh actually, I don't seem to have that <laughs> right here I'll have to go to it anyway in proverbs thirteen twenty four let's just just let's just take a uh look at that it says he that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteth uh, chasteneth him uh betimes many times. The righteous eateth to the satisfying of his soul, but the belly of the wicked shall want. The, all these statements here are really about social welfare. If you go back up to 22, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. You know, there's a lot of unjust wealthy people out there. They're going to lose everything. They're they're going to lose absolutely everything. And now, this in our time, this is this is coming up where you know, we have the traveling merchants. Revelations talks about the traveling merchants of the earth who have a full stock of everything, including slaves and souls of men. Well, everybody in the world has been enslaved. And their soul their inheritance, their incorporeal incorporeal herediments of personality, are in this uh worldwide que trust. If you want to change that, you have to separate yourself from the ways of selfishness and seek the ways of righteousness you know in in the article sparing the rod and and spoiling the child uh, talks about this rod. Spare with the rod. The word rod there is not what you beat people with. It's what you guide people with. And what you need to guide people back to is the ways, the tillage of righteousness, the organic farming of righteousness, where we are the weeds and we have a value in the congregations of men but those congregations of men are formed out of the way of Christ or in the way of Christ according to the way of Christ which is about taking care of one another through faith open and charity and that perfect law of liberty Gathering together is the most important message that I can give you. Gathering together in the ways of Christ, in the name of Christ, according to the character of Christ, is the most important thing you can do for the survival of you and your children and your children's children and your children's children's children. If you go back up, I mean, how many times does Proverbs 13 talk about righteousness? A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but the scorner heareth not rebuke. I am rebuking you. That you're not going the way of your father. You're not listening to your father's instructions. A man shall eat good by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the transgressor shall eat violence. That's what you got. Your systems are all based on violence. And John the Baptist was preaching the other way. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. In other words, want those benefits. But there's a long way's in between. You don't this is fasting, keepeth his, his life, the one who keepeth his mouth, keepeth his mouth shut. In other words, doesn't eat of the rewards. Of the transgressors of violence. The canes and nimrods of the world. The soul of the slugger desireth. And he hath nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. All the people on welfare, they have nothing. They have no inheritance. Their covetousness is making them merchandise. The righteous man hateth the lying. You lie every day because you say you follow Christ, but you actually follow Nimrod. You need to gather together and allow God to change you in that gathering. To bring His Spirit together with you and others. You care about them, not because they are righteous, but because they are God's children. They are errant children, but they are still God's children. The righteous man hateth lying, but the wicked man is loathsome and cometh to shame. The righteousness keepeth him that is upright in the way, but the wickedness overthroweth the sinner. Over and over again, this whole Proverbs 13 is talking about righteousness. And being righteous, and loving righteousness, and working towards righteousness. It is not righteous to take from your neighbor so that you may have more. There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. Here is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. Jesus was rich and made himself poor. We seek more workers in the kingdom, more people who will lay down what they have for others. Now, what you're supposed to do As ministers in the kingdom, God will show you. God will teach you. But you have to start taking those first steps back towards His ways. Back towards the garden. Back towards His redemption. The ransom of a man's life are his riches, but the poor heareth not rebuke. Because you're poor in spirit. I mean, poor in spiritual things. Not humble in spirit, but... Your religion makes you feel self-righteous. We need to turn around and away from that and go another way. Only the pride committeth contention. Don't argue with this. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek the righteousness of God. Gather together in congregations. Buy half a cup of coffee for Jesus every day. Set aside something for Jesus every day. And give it away so that it will feed his sheep. Feed the truth to his sheep. Light that lamp. He says, the light of the righteous rejoice. This is still same. he's talking about righteousness. But the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. And And right now, you are dependent upon the wicked of the world. The covetous of the world the ways of the world and you say i don't want to be dependent upon that i don't want to take their benefits okay great start becoming the benefactor of christ the benefactors of his kingdom who do not exercise authority who do not take away or who are not operating by force but by what charity covetous practices shall make you merchandise charitable practices shall set you free Christ sets you free, but you don't know Christ unless you walk in His ways. The more you walk in His ways, the more you will know Christ. This is the hope of His salvation, but you must seek it. Until then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless.